Alexa Ashley and this is Eyes Wide. In this episode, we get to hear from intimacy doula Ezria Ben Ernst. Ezria is a poet, experienced designer, energy healer, and the founder of an organic cacao brand. We hear how he survived two suicide attempts, cancer, and seeing his mom pass through cancer. Today, he creates space for people to drop more into the love that they are. I'd love to start by hearing like a little bit about what it was like growing up as Ezria. Well, what I can tell you is that I didn't grow up as Ezria, but I've grown up in a sense. So I was born Derek Ernst Albert, or pronounced Albert in the States, but it's Ernst Albert because we're Haitian um, via my father's side and Cuban as well. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, not raised in Brooklyn, moved to Chicago, Evanston, which is right on the border, literally like four or five blocks from the border of where Evanston becomes Chicago and Illinois. And then I moved to Florida around the age of eight, closer to nine though, and then back up to close to nine years later, back up to Illinois for college. So it wasn't until I was, it was probably 2014 that I took on the name Ezra. It came to me in a dream and so I'll share what it was like stepping into Ezria, but before it was, my journey was really, you know, growing up in a family, Caribbean family in the States, um, conforming to a lot of everything going on, witnessing harmony in some instances and a lot of disharmony, whether it be due to lack of communication, machismo, some alcohol, some drug abuse on some sides, or just... Um, versions of emasculation and also I could say whatever would be the opposite towards the feminine as well uh, term doesn't come to mind but it's because it's so prevalent just mistreatment but not necessarily towards my mother per se but witnessing it in in some of the culture and of course what I've experienced what sticks out to me prominently are, are like areas where prejudice has come my direction and me being like what's this about never really harmonizing with it but witnessing it you know and feeling like what is going on in this world what kind of things are happening here and feeling like i don't belong in this soup but also knowing that i came into this and so like balancing that because with that there's always been a big curiosity and i think along my journey the hardest thing has been feeling so battle-worn by what it is to be here that I had lost the curiosity of of living. So, but besides that, it was fun, mischievous. I was a bit of, uh, my nickname was Desod, which can sound like disorder or <laughs> chaos, which, you know, I was just very curious. And uh, it's close to my mother and my grandmother's, closer to my dad later. So... Just journeying and trying to figure out what's what and trying to love as much as possible but learning a lot of lessons and all of that that's mm. that's really been the, the big journey of growing up thanks yeah. um i know you've talked kind of about like things were kind of hard with your dad and stuff mm. what was that like well my father was, was a beautiful man is a beautiful man but also a disciplinarian coming from a family that has uh, political ties in haiti which political ties when I speak to that I'm speaking to his grooming 
And so is grooming in terms of how you show up in public and, you know, how you carry yourself as a lot of, there's a lot of good traits and mm. ideals that are incorporated. But to bring that into a person sometimes can be harsh in terms of discipline. So, of course, I was spanked as a kid. I was disorderly. And so part of the culture is to spank, you know, but that created a, a, a viciousness within me as well. As can do. Violence creates violence. Yeah. And so not until later did I like speak to him in that regard and learn about his relationship with his father and begin to mend our relationship. And it was funny because it was just a question of me saying, Dad, I see that you're trying to look out for me. Can you not hit me anymore and for discipline? And I'm going to try to listen to you. And him looking at me and saying, OK, and that was it. Never was there an exchange, physical exchange between us again. How, how early old teens. I was 14, oh, 15, wow. 15 at the time. That's so brave of you. Yeah, I had a, a bit of an awakening to come to that. Because before that, I was actually literally working out to prepare myself to kill him. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, so like, and I've shared this with him, and I don't know how that would make him feel to hear it again. But this happens with kids. You know, when you beat someone who has a strong spirit, and we come from warrior spirit family, it's either... You know, you cower and you become something else or you stand up for yourself. And what was happening was I would get in fights in school and I would say things that my father said to me in the fights, mm. you know, and my friends joke about it. But that's actually like like a traumatic response, in my opinion, to come out of yourself and then just be repeating what's been said to you as you beat on someone else. Right. Yeah. And so like becoming OK with the violent side of me, but also saying, hey, this is not why I'm here. And also, like, really, one day what happened was I was taking care of my grandmother, my father's mom. And, you know, I'd lost my mother's mom years ago and was thinking about death and life. And, like, it really dawned on me that, hey, my father's going to get old at some point and I'm the first child. Am I going to take care of him or am I here to take him out? Like, doesn't sound, something sounds off, you know. And, and I looked at a picture of him as uh, he was eight as well for his comfort is not confirmation in the catholic church they have the first communion so his first communion picture with him in like prayer stance looking like an angel wow and then another photo of him and his cousin eric in cowboy clothes and i just remember sitting and looking at those pictures thinking he was a kid like me i don't know who he is mm -hmm. and then you know do i want to hurt him or take care of him and i just started crying uh -huh. and then it dawned on me like maybe he's just trying to figure it out too you know, and so then I'm like, I'm just going to have a talk with him. And I knocked on the door. I was like, Dad, can I talk to you? And he's like, sure. And then he spoke. And I just recalled like every time before I'd gotten in trouble, he gave me fair warning. It wasn't like it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. He would warn me, warn me, warn me. And I just keep doing stuff. And so maybe there was another route. And that's the route I took. Mm. It taught me a lot about life, too. What did it teach you? One, communication is important and how like easy it is to misjudge someone. Two, there, there are people who may be looking out for you, but they know how to look out for you in just their way. Mm. And so it's if you have thought of some better way to navigate and then you discard that, that's kind of your responsibility. So it taught me to take responsibility for certain communications. Mm. I can't say I'm great at it all, but like being able to stand up to my father, not stand up to him physically per se, but to stand up to the image I had of him within myself and challenge that in a conversation mm. you know and then and then see like whoa it was that easy like i could have just spoken to him a long time ago
could have just decided to listen and work with him because my thing was I'm going to work with you to learn what you're trying to teach me as opposed to fight you because you're older, you know better, and you're going to die anyways. So do I have to hasten it or will I be one to take care of you? Yeah. Yeah. When you say stood up to the character that he was in your mm-hmm. mind, you mean like challenge your idea of who he was? Yeah, I didn't know those words. I didn't know, know to articulate something as challenge your own perception mm-hmm. at the time. So what I what I realized and like thinking of how I see him is like, well, there's people that view me the wrong way. Wow. Could I be doing that with him? Who is he really? That's the question I asked. And I was like, I don't know him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. I don't know if he's been beaten. He shared a little bit, but I, like I really didn't know him. He was a mystery to mm-hmm. me in a sense. He was someone who I loved, who was there, who we had fun sometimes, but also he abused me in his method of uh, punishment for discipline and it made me want to kill myself so i'm you know getting ready to kill myself at age of eight nine wow but not it wouldn't work and then i'd get punished on top of it so it put a hopelessness in me in a sense mm. towards myself and doing certain things and then towards the relationship but there was never me speaking it i didn't know to speak it so i i guess i was challenging well what's the worst that can happen if i speak it because i already know what i want to do the other way but I don't really want to do that yeah. it makes me feel this way. Mm-hmm. It opened up a lot in me in terms of wanting to be authentic. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's hard and also amazing that you were able to learn all that and at such a young age. Thank you. To carry with you through the rest of your life. Most people don't learn that stuff. <laughs> ever <laughs> yeah I see a lot of instances you know and yeah. that's an interesting one to learn yeah yeah mm-hmm. that was like the first time that you were thinking about killing yourself I, I, I thought about it probably around 7 but I tried it at 8 I tried to hang myself in the closet oh wow in my house and broke the closet I tried it first off uh, off of door because you know you're short at that age but th- i'm like no it's not gonna work so then i tried it in the closet wow. in our new house and broke the closet i broke one of the things and then i got in trouble for playing around in there oh, so it was like it didn't gosh. work and then i felt like i can't even do this oh. right but i kept that within me and i fought that for wow. years up until 2016 wow. when i was in Kauai and my wife left and my mom died and you know i had the estrangement for my daughter and i came out of religion a lot of things happen at one time you know to the to say goodbye to paradigms so i've gone through a lot of pain sans medicine but i did have vipassana but i had kind of given up and so yeah yeah so your life was almost taken by yourself or we could say by the hopelessness and darkness that you felt Mm -hmm. and then it's also been almost taken by like health yeah. things, what was that like? I had uh, testicular cancer, diagnosed in 2008, removed on my, yeah, 2009 beginning. And then I went through the radiation beam therapy, electron radiation beam therapy in Hawaii at Queens Medical Center. And that was, again, just something that after, say, my first divorce, after moving to Hawaii, getting in relationship but still like trying to heal everything it was just heavy 
for me to think like, wow, I could have never seen my daughter again if I didn't happen to check at the advice of my partner. You know, she had me watch a movie. She didn't ask me to check my health. She had me watch Fight Club. <laughs> and there was a testicular cancer thing in Fight Club. And wow. so like these interesting connections, you know, happened. I watch closer to Thanksgiving and I'm thinking, or December, and I'm thinking, hmm, I think I should give myself a check the next day. You know, just a testicular check because I was an RA in college, oh. a resident assistant. And so we had we would have programs, kind of like what we do here, huh. but for health. So we taught the women how to check their breasts and the men how to check their testicles. So I remembered. So I go to the gym on, um, on uh, Kalakawa and I'm like checking myself. On one side, I'm like, that's a nice big testicle. Juicy, you know, being in my cockiness. I check the other one. I'm like, this one's much larger. What the fuck? And then I could feel an, a lump on the top of it. And I wow. had just had like a bunch of STD checks before to clear myself for some drama that I had with my partner prior, you know. And it's funny because like, wow, all this stuff was like, okay, it's, something's going on here. So I come back, chat with her, but I don't tell her what I'm doing. And I go to the hospital and get um, x-ray, sonogram. They're like, you have a rapidly growing tumor on your wow. testicle you need to get into a urologist and so all this stuff kicked off and um yeah it's been like a lot of chin checks on the journey i was also working for the military my uh, career has been in health physics which is radiation protection chemical hazard identification removal characterization storage and, and so it's like i'm doing this work and working with bombs the other guys were working with bombs, but they would check for us. And then we'd go in and we'd kind of work in tandem with one another. So I was on a place that had chemical weaponry as well. Things that don't often, they get disclosed later. Sometimes you go out for a project and you're there for a couple months and you leave, you do your piece. But for me being there for seven years, I, you know, things get declassified and you're like, oh, it was Agent Orange right where I was standing or all, oh, you know. So it's, it's, it was interesting. But it really made me look at how I'm living again. But it's like graduated steps of tragedy and paradigm changes, which is the same for all of us. But for me, some of them have had to be like that. And wow. then cancer again in 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. The same or different? It was in, a, in this, what they call the retroperitoneal area. Hmm. You know, and, but the same symptoms, beginning symptoms that I didn't pay attention to last time. Change in my body odor. A sweat, a certain kind of sweat, more metallic. That's what I felt. Um, change in my energy and also people, more clairvoyant people reaching out to me saying, hey, something's wrong. Hmm. And, and a massive release in terms of emotion because I went to Oahu at the time to go clear some old things that I had inside with my ex-wife, the recent ex-wife at that time. So I was going visiting all the spots that we spent time at. And then after I had visited all those spots and kind of said my goodbyes, all this anger came up. I was camping in, um, where was I at? On the west side, and that, there's Waianae, and then right after Waianae is Nanakuli. Mm -hmm. So I was camping in Nanakuli just by myself, you know? And then <clears throat> I go to the movies, come back, and I'm raging on the way back from the movies. I start crying, and then I went to bed, and I woke up super sick and feverish that mm. day. Yeah. And so that was the beginning of me moving to get things cleared. Oh. Yeah. My story is like super condensed, <laughs> super packed with some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how did you get into to the 
a job working with with chemicals and and bombs and stuff. I would say three generations. So my mother um, and her mother worked in the hospitals. My mother did x-ray technology. I think my grandmother did x-ray stuff. And so I was looking to get in and do, um, to help people heal from cancer as maybe working in the radiology side, but, you know, for like working to help remove cancer or to be a doctor to deliver babies. Those were the two. So following my mother's footsteps, because that was an easy in, and that would give us a connection to one another. Uh-huh. Since she did CAT scans, mammograms, mm. um, you know, x-ray, etc. Mm-hmm. And so there's a shared jargon that we can speak to each other in. Yeah. And then also, but it's funny because I want to do that, but I would have had to go to school at another university after I graduated. And when I graduated, I went to this, uh, I took a job working for a, f- a place that is a nuclear fuel cycling facility. So the environmental side, as opposed to the hospital side. Mm. And then I ended up connecting with my first wife and, you know, having a baby. And so I ended up not going to school, but continuing in that field. Mm. And then later I ended up working in um, Tripler just for a little bit. In what? Tripler Medical Hospital, the big pink hospital that you oh. see and when you come into Oahu. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, why, what did you do there? Well, there I worked with the health physics team. I was volunteering. I came in through the Red Cross to give myself an in. And then I volunteered with their department and they work in oblation. They do all the radiation safety protocols mm. as well as, you know, the uh, making sure that they're under the requirements for the government as well as the military. And then they deal with the substances and they do oblation. So like removal by using the means of radioactive material, calculating the dose, which would be called the symmetry. Mm. And then also training for everyone and storage. Super cool. Yeah, pretty cool. It was pretty. Yeah. Great group of guys. So it's like you you went to school thinking that you wanted to get into kind of into healing mm-hmm. and and birthing new life <laughs> or yeah. helping to bring about new life. And it feels like it's kind of a little bit of what you do now in healing and giving people new life and new sense of themselves and and love do you feel that yeah absolutely and it's nice to like feel that echo too and feel seen in that way so those are my originals then because i wanted to have a stable job i saw this is my entry you fall into the quote-unquote muggle way of things yeah then it's like it's just been a journey of stripping away mm-hmm. and getting to the essence you know so there's a company I have called Lakoji. Well, Lakoji, everything that I built up now is are aspects of me on like step by step on the way of remembering. So Lakoji stands for love, courage, justice, and experiential integration. Mm-hmm. Justice can be looked at as wanting to create a balance that's fair in your interactions with people. Yeah. And all that culminates in intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so then I describe myself as a soul deep intimacy doula. A soul deep intimacy doula. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. As opposed to, say, the midwife who goes to school mm-hmm. to learn the medical side and the doula who's got possibly likely more traditional knowledge as well as some of that knowledge, but isn't so much like, oh, you're needed in the birth process, although they, they very much are, I, I believe. Yeah. But also in what comes before the birth, during the birth, after the birth, and yeah. how they manage all of the interactions and relations in the meantime. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's the same as poetry. 
it's the same as chefing as a recipe like I, I see intimacy as the core of my journey here and raising awareness in that and so I say I do many things but really I'm only interested in doing one thing and that's you know creating harmony or at least being because there's a totality and everything's needed being part of bringing it into harmony mm. and hosting holding space facilitating moving energy up you know so I've, I've come into a lot of different aspects of what I am as a being yeah but I'm still ever trying to just make it coherent when do you feel like you um, kind of were aware of energy and mm. wanting to work with it more on a individual level I think at the age of three I can remember living in a house with three generations my mother's mom mm -hmm. lived upstairs my father me and my mom lived in a room downstairs I had four uncles in the basement which was like the bachelor pad Whoa. two uncles in one room upstairs like a family house wow yeah so like maybe like what you know of uh, in an Asian family the Haitian and some of the Caribbean families who have multiple generations together mm. so I appreciate that experience yeah and there I would you know before I could talk I could feel two things I would know my uncles by smell you know which was really cool and aunties as well and I could I had a very sharp sense of smell I could smell so much on a human being before you know <laughs> and so but that's actually just energy navigating a perception of energy hmm. and then I could feel certain things and I would astral travel as a child and there was an entity in the house called strife hmm. that I, I knew by name oddly enough and strife looked like a sith and I'd have these dreams where strife would be in the living room and I'd be venturing down in the darkness and it would pull me in and I'd always get away always it grab me by the ankle and I'd get away and then I'd make my way back up towards grandma or towards the uncle's room mm. and then I'd wake up and I'd be being carried downstairs into the bedroom where my parents are and so like I was aware of that and then um, having a, a calming touch I started off with giving my mother massages and then when I was in high school of course you wanted the opportunity to touch girls but I'd feel drawn to touching a person and they'd be like how'd you know it's hurting over there or whatever so I'd massage some of the ladies in school but, <laughs> but as I'd get into it I'd disappear and so I've had a couple of instances with um, my first wife in massage where she just disappeared into somewhere else and she had fibromyalgia. So like to, to really give her a massage where she could drop in was a beautiful thing to witness. And then the same thing with my second wife as well. And so when my mother was dying um, in 2016, she asked me, she says, you know, sweetie, by then I'm S. She's like, Ezra, can you come up and massage me? You know and, and just so that's mostly what I did and I ended up like this one day I massaged her for like eight hours straight like we're just sitting there listening massaging and I'm like wow like I'm just starting to get tired now but it's endless and she was like you have healing hands you know and I'm like and I'd rather be doing something with those yeah so that was a catalyst after she died wow yeah and you noticed it at three mm -hmm. wow also, as a teenager, in the beginnings of courtship, you know, I could, I would, um, I don't want to say bilocate, but there was an, a deep energetic connection with one of my first, I would call them my first loves, mm -hmm. you know, and 
so like I'd feel her like how we talk to feeling each other in tantra and having that orgasmic feeling I could feel that over the phone with just breath and like that kind of thing I could feel in my body mm-hmm. at a young age and I've also noticed how it's been blocked off by say heartache and mm. so I've got to notice how like you love someone something goes wrong and you close up and then some of those other faculties will close up mm. yeah huh mm-hmm. and so at three it's like maybe you're you didn't have as many blockages yeah. yet mm-hmm. to close you off yeah could sense it more what is tell me about astro astro traveling mm-hmm. so what would happen is i would and i didn't know anything about a quote-unquote astral realm until picking up some book that my dad had from time magazine that talked about different uh what are the words different realms so to say right more esoteric stuff but i would leave my body i would like and drop back in but not just before bed and after bed i'd be in class and i'd go and i'd go above you know the town i lived in a town called palm coast and i know what the town looked like airily aerially for me flying mm. you know and it was like it'd be like i was having a dream on the bus ride to school but then i'd drop back on my body drop back in right as the bus would arrive at school but i'd get to see a bird's eye view leaving me leaving the body me flying up and doing this it's pretty amazing (laughs) to think back on it because it's like i knew what this place looked like and i was doing it a bit in hawaii too so i've actually got to go up and skydive and fly Um, partner bought me flight lessons so i got to literally fly like a cool glider you know up above kind of point wow and like you know i'm like it's it's just like oh this is what it looks like Granted, there's maps, so I could prime myself with a map, but I have that experience of like being able to go into those realms and also um, dealing with succubi and other entities. Succubi. Succubi? Yeah, succubus succubi. So these are like demons who have sex with you and, and pull your energy or beings, entities, you know. That can take energy from you by manipulating you through mm. through sexual allure. Huh. Yeah. And so that's something else that I've navigated with and through, um, I would say through love for the person that I was with, saying like I'm so into her, that I was actually able to decipher that you're not my partner and have one of them turn around and change its face. And I realized, oh, I'm in another realm right now. Hmm. And so that realm is a realm, for me, it was one of testing of like, okay, if I can, in a place where I felt I could have any type of wild sex and do whatever, you know, hold to myself and my relationship then it's just like no barrier it's much easier here if you're in a place where it's like there's no rules Mm. you make up rules you know there and things just happen so me being like no and then it's like that realm would test me and i'd notice things that were off so it's just another aspect of our being Mm. that maybe we navigate and forget about maybe we're navigating just less dense than here for sure yeah. yeah, it sounds like maybe from like when you're a kid and and I'm wondering if you feel that now if you if you feel like you're kind of rebellious or yeah. like to go against the norm and even if we 
I said, mm-hmm. you need to be in like a, a certain realm or whatever. If you're like, nah, I'm going to like go be in this one. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely me. Even wanting to kill yourself is a rebellion against mm. this. It's saying, you know, I'm not feeling it here. Yeah. Granted, it was a defeatist attitude. Right. But making the decision, I made it so seriously that, you know, there was a day that I had fallen into it. And my brother was like, please don't. And I thought, okay, I don't have to do it today because mom just died. Everyone else was grieving. And how would I explain this? I'm going to take my time. I'm going to take three years, explore life, and then create a manifesto of information to share what's been going on within me. Then they'll at least have something. So when I go, so I've had another family member kill herself and left books and stuff behind, but everyone was trying to piece it together. She left a note, but I still feel like, you know, that created a bit of, for everyone that didn't know. So I wanted to create something. So if my last two poetry books but really the one called the rites of passage was the beginning of me after my mom died starting to write poetry again on the way to kotal in in thailand all the way up to um, me arriving back in the states in 2019 but halfway through i decided oh life is epic i'm not going to kill myself now i'm just going to share my experiences if i die along the way at least you have this you know memoirs of my journey in poetry form Hmm. yeah what do you feel like, yeah, mainly contributed or helped you, like, see that ethicness of life or feel it more? I said some ideals. So to keep me here, I had to go back to ritual. You know, like I went back to, let's say, military um, physical training ritual in the morning and like mm-hmm. a bit of a boxer 300 type of training before work. And so that gave me the endorphins in the morning, mm. right, to, to see it through. And then I changed my diet a bit. But then the thing that I did that I feel like stuck out besides ritual was um, yeah, just making the decision to chronicle like what's going on inside and to express it. I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah. I, I started to actually have visions of me, like remember me waking up and running around in the Koloa area. But it was being willing to face the pain. And so I said, I said, I, I took words that were like ideals and I seeked to attain them mm. within myself. So like the first things that I had were, okay, priorities, principles, um, spontaneity, authenticity, like five, you know, pillars, authenticity, what else is there? Uh, <laughs> like I, I ran after them was it sensuality or sexuality like I, so I set these principles and then they, they evolved into okay what is it to be love how do I navigate life and increase my capacity to be courageous okay what is justice within me how do I have a compensatory definition of justice because it's not defined in the law books you know in the books that are used say a legal dictionary it's vague and so like how do i create my own justice and then how do i integrate my experience and once i came to the integration phase then the next thing opened up for me which was intimacy then i realized oh that's my golden thread Hmm. was intimacy and then i I was like all right good now this is what i'm here to do so it's been like oh i've been trying to uncover these things the whole time and i needed to set milestones that i could measure in my relationships and interactions and with myself hmm. and then go from there. Huh. 
And I, it kind of gave you a feeling of, of like some kind of grounding in this world, or yeah, definitely. Because it's like, oh, then I could see like, oh, everyone's trying to attain to something. We're either being guided to seek for something, or we're looking to. It's like we forget and we sort of try to remember, and something comes along and says, "No, eat popcorn," or like, "No, do something else." And we go, oh, "Okay, okay." But me going against the grain. I was like, okay, this is really about me versus me, in a sense. Me versus a me that was going to give up. Mm-hmm. Me saying, okay, can I? Where did I start to go wrong? I I fell off within my mind. Around twenty seven, I became more depressed. You know, but like there was also the beginning of me changing and actually attaining a lot of things I wanted. But then me finding out all those things that I was seeking to attain weren't what I really wanted.、Mm. So like. Like okay, what is important to me? What are the principles? And even if those principles aren't monetarily responded to, I was gonna kill myself anyways. So why not build a life based on those things, which has again just taken me away from a lot of people that I love, and so I that's one one thing I battle with now, here and there. But also being willing to look at the fruit of that decision and weigh them against each other and and have a future sight to say well. That doesn't mean I have to be away from them forever.、Mm-hmm. It just means I get to take the time to cultivate something in myself that will benefit them when we're together. Specifically, I speak to my daughter and I, but maybe even my ex-wife, wives,、mm-hmm. in time. Yeah. Yeah, and family. It can be hard, like sometimes when we choose us、mm-hmm. or choose happiness for for us. Yeah. It can at least. At that time, or momentarily, yeah, change relationships with other people because they're they're used to one one version of us that that we like weren't happy in, didn't want. Yeah, absolutely. What I found is people sometimes get used to or cling on to a version of me that's evolving. Mm. And think that is the the full evolution, and then or and want it to and be, it to be <laughs> or a version of me that's in a weak state.、Mm. You you meet me in in a state where I've been beat up and battered, and people are like,、oh, "That's cool, got you." But I'm like, "No, I know I'm stronger than I'm. I'm not one to to speak to. I I am so strong, you know, in certain ways. But there are some things that I've learned about myself through the journey. And so I, you may meet me in a state of contemplation and integration of what I've been through,、mm-hmm. and because my life has been one thing after another." I'm constantly integrating. Hence, what I speak to as experiential integration is you, <laughs> you speaking to your own and experiencing, like the unfoldment of your integration as the observer of your journey,、mm. and creating spaces for that. Not me dictating what your integration has to be,、mm. but that's a rebellion because I've had that. Had people say, "Oh, this is what happened to you. You're good now." Blah blah blah,、uh-huh. and me being like, "No,、nah, I'm not good now. <laughs> I'm not good just yet. I'm gonna、yeah. take some time to myself, you know." And And like, if you're not used to doing that, and you you ever taking steps to move deeper in that,、mm-hmm. then things are going to continue to change in your relationships. Yeah. yeah. What does yeah tell tell me more about like integration and yeah and how you found that it. Okay. Well, integration. So the definition it can be like, the, like the the blending of certain things together. It and I'm paraphrasing because for for me it's it's blending into a harmony, or at least the observation. With harmony within yourself of what's going on, and and saying, okay, I went through this, 
as a result of that, I'm going to operate differently because I've digested what's happened with me. I'm comfortable with, you know, or I've come to some conclusion about what's happy with me and I'm going to move forward. And a lot of times in my journey, it's this thing has happened and I move on to the next thing because we put a time on how long you can sit with something. Mm. And so say when I went to Africa and did the journey with Iboga, well, what I was told was one journey with Iboga is a two year integration blows my mind because I journeyed with it for over seven you know, months. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, I'm still going to be integrating the lessons that I've learned from that. So the life is a continual integration. Yeah. So it's really learning the lessons of your journey. That's what the experiential integration is. We come here to have an experience. So what is the lesson that I choose to take? Is there's ad nauseum lessons you can take. Mm-hmm. What is the lesson that I'm going to take from this experience? Whatever it is, it's fine. But I feel like I always feel better when I've come to the lesson. Yeah. And I can always do a retrospective analysis, as I call it, and pull more lessons from it. Mm-hmm. Mayamatu Musashi, he's a samurai. And there's, uh, there's um, I think, in the water book, which is a book of strategy, but it's like close to the Tao. But for me, I use it to navigate, uh, I call it war with myself. I, I trust that I'm a warrior in some ways, but not that I'm trying to take blood from anyone. Soldier takes orders, but can be a warrior, depending on his willingness to use his own uh, sincere, authentic spirit to discern things. Warrior is one who's doing what I just spoke to in the journey. And you can also be, be like at peace by going to war with yourself. The reason people go to war is to create peace, which sounds funny, but but I look at it in a different way, you know, in that if you're you're working with a little bit more struggle towards bringing peace within sometimes i feel like maybe you have to go to war with a version of yourself that's not authentic to hear it out going to work could even mean hearing it out and and ending a battle before it starts Mm, like with your dad yeah for sure Mm. you know because there was a battle going on within me battle going on within him but we were fighting different battles and so to gain clarity is is what is important about strategy which can end a war so to say one man can defeat 10,000 well defeating doesn't mean you've killed 10,000 men defeating can mean those 10,000 men had a false interpretation of something that's going on between you and them and you bring the war to an end by bringing truth and so so it's getting out of the disharmony hmm. by bringing harmony which is truth but that can be a weapon as well. Hmm. Yeah. What do you feel like are the main ways that you've been able to find, I guess, truths that have like yeah. impacted your life the most? Through um, witnessing my disharmony, my darkness, through illness, through heartbreak, through really like being broken down. Another book that I used to read a lot was Proverbs, and then I got into Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, there's esoteric knowledge, but I'm not a, a quote-unquote Bible banger per se, but it had its place on my journey. <laughs> yeah. So one of the statements is that there's, I'm paraphrasing again, there's truth in the house of the dead. Meaning, during the time of joy and jubilation, everyone can be puffing each other up. But when someone dies, people really reflect. And so having those paradigms of mine come to, to me to death, whether it be an ego death through medicine mm-hmm. or the hard way of, damn, I thought this was going to be this way, that's the end of the dream right now the end of what i thought the dream was going to be that's a death the end of a marriage can be harder than a death because 
that ghost is still alive somewhere so to say you know and so like facing those things and doing it you could say in a sense a bit of sobriety has brought me a lot of clarity and insight but it's in the persevering through all those emotions that i thought would kill me mm. or that i didn't want to live through live with and to see them like dissipate and i'm like oh okay cool I'm still, <laughs> like i'm still here <laughs> yeah it seems like you've experienced like many different kind of realities within one reality and yeah. is is it like freeing or like confusing or expanding mm. or exciting how do you feel about that it's all the above all the above yeah can be daunting but it just now it, i'm it depends on the state that i'm in right say i was ill with the food poisoning the past couple of days and i'm like oh but then i'm like well there's my breath there's my body there's something i can learn from this so it all depends on where you're at with your mind mm. and i guess with your spirit in this journey and so i, I fluctuate but i end up it's, i just trust in the willingness to persevere and then like if i wake up i go to sleep i wake up i'm still here then i'm a rich man you know yeah. I, i even mentioned it in the last one of the last poems that i spoke in in that last um mellow cello when i said you know if you've woken up with taking breath you're probably you're the most wealth, wealthiest richest person alive because really that's just you as a reflection but you're breathing you're here mm -hmm. yeah yeah i love how you do so many different different things that are all centered around healing like the mellow cello that integrates like mm -hmm. music and poetry and for me like space is really important mm -hmm. and i feel like you do that really well like aesthetically yeah. like i feel like it's under estimated um yeah. and like not thought of as much but i feel like it really as you would probably say facilitates a beautiful mm. opening and expanding experience and then you write and do kind of energetic healing and stuff do you feel like they all kind of help each other or influence each other absolutely i was in the beginnings of me doing workshops and stuff i had a partner in bali and you know if you work with the military you can do you do a talk or presentation in the dirtiest ugliest of spaces mm. and everyone's just focused on the information but you come out of that side of things and granted you want places clean and whatnot and breathable but i've been i've, I've been to various different locales and you know working with this partner in bali she was like you've got to make it pretty Ezria. <laughs> you don't this is not sexy <laughs> she would say this to me and i think you're right okay and and i have an appreciation for the aesthetic living in hawaii you get used to it but for me it was like god i'd wake up in the mornings say when i lived in wailua and I, from my shower there's the other side of schofield barracks on the north shore wow. so i'm like taking a shower and the sun's coming up and i'm like oh. <laughs> you know and so to really be drawn aback why not bring that into your environment and so I, i take that to honor the women i try to make it pretty and and also the feminine and our brothers because they're not used to it and they it affects them but they may not realize it but to come into a place and have flowers you know 
I spend a lot more time than it may seem. It seems like melocello starts at this time, but even like the way you cut up the fruit adds so much to the melocello for me. I, I saved the picture of it, you know, because it's like, wow, you have all this beauty here and it's just up to us to craft it. So yeah, it mm. creating audible, sensual, like working with the senses helps me also because when I was wanting to leave, I had been numbed. Oh. I couldn't feel. And so I'm like, that's the reason we want to be here is to feel. Uh -huh. So if the words can help you to feel, these were my feelings coming through words. That's all I had left at, at one time. So that's why there's so much in those poems. Mm. You know, it's alchemical because it was also anchoring me back here through me being able to express and share my feelings oh, wow. to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I could hear what I was feeling. Wow. Yeah. Those are my journals. Those are my daily journals, you know, on the way to like saying goodbye. Mm. Those journals, do you feel like they help? Do you feel? Absolutely. Yeah, I felt through them. And there's some of them were downloads, but like, I'll read you one maybe after this. It's called Poems, Downloads, Journals, mm. and something else, you know? But it's like, yeah, it helped me immensely. This is, those poems are what kept me here. Mm. And then also having some plans to travel and deciding to explore. And to, I put myself at risk a lot. Now, I was actually kind of scared of going deep in the ocean you know, and surfing big waves, and I push myself to do those kind of things in Bali. I've been out on days where nobody else was out and come back to an ovation because people thought I was going to die. Oh. I was so far out, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't but maybe that also helped you feel too. Hey, big time. I would have like big downloads after that and like, you know, like a big shake and release from the adrenaline and mm -hmm. then also from surviving and me saying, wow, I, yeah, that was pretty hairy. <laughs> you know, the afterthought. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What, what other things do you feel like you've done that you didn't think you'd do? <laughs> I went to Cambodia and I did a survey. So for the whole time while I was working in that industry, health physics, I worked for a company. I felt a bit unsung. Not that I wanted, you know, a bunch of, uh, to be like honored in some way, but I did feel unhonored by the company. And I felt like I believed in an ideal of cleaning up and doing this work and showing up for the company and bleeding the certain companies ethos and then to see the structure above changing leadership and it be you know bs that was really disheartening for me because it was yet again something else i believed in and so rectifying that within myself was to to say i'm gonna go to this place i did recon so as part of me before i died i was like well i'm gonna go i worked i quit my job in Kauai, took a job for a company that i could work uh, remotely and I went to Southeast Asia to do recon to mm. see if there was um, nuclear material anywhere or bombs that need to be disposed because we know about the killing fields, say in Siem Reap and these other areas. So I went through Cambodia, I went through Thailand, Thailand to connect with the university there and say, hey, we have a company that you can come work in America with, um, Cambodia to see about doing cleanup. And then I found a place where it seemed like there was weaponry that possibly the U.S. hadn't disclosed but used ahead of time there. Wow. Well, wasn't the case, thank goodness, but there was other stuff there that was of hazard to people. Mm. So I went to the war museum, the war museum of Cambodia, and I did close to $40,000 survey for free, pro bono, because I gave my word. And the last day I found material that people were putting their faces on, people were able to climb towards, and I quarantined the material, but I was lied to by the, um, <laughs> by the adjunct director Wow. who told me he had passed it up his chain, but he didn't. So because it's a private company, 
you can get killed. And I, I didn't, I kept in mind I'm in another country, so I evacuated myself the next day once I felt the heat. Wow. And then he ended up leaving the country as well, but he ended up coming back and working for them. So everything cooled out and I quarantined the material. I don't know what they've done with it, but that was like, I cried the day that I found that material because I felt like I was going to kill myself. I stayed alive long enough and now I'm in another country and I'm actually getting to save lives in the way that I want to do it. I also purchased a, um, an instrument at one time $10,000, but I got for two, you know, but it's like a top-notch gamma spectroscopy portable device. And so, so it's like better than anything they had in the country. So I rolled up in there like a ghostbuster and, then I, <laughs> and like I surveyed the entire grounds, all, all the stuff, all the machines, all the tanks, all the gunners, the guns, the weapons, the artillery, and then found that material, made them a little report and said, if you want anything else done, it won't be pro bono. Well, I, once I got to Copenhagen, so I left them with Thailand and then finished everything there and contacted them from there. But it was special to me. I cried leaving because I realized, wow, I actually did what I've been wanting to do in the industry, as opposed to we clean up a little bit, planned obsolescence, leave some there, come <laughs> back, or we're not doing it right. Yeah. I did the best job that I could do with nobody in my way. Yeah. And and I found something that I know is going to benefit people because they were putting their faces on it. Mm. And that meant something to me. And then it was like I could leave the industry. Wow. At that point. Huh. And I did go back and forth, but I felt like I, I did it. Wow. Did something, yeah. I'm sure some people would be like, that would be like, oh, now I want to keep doing this forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a little bit dangerous for me in that instance. And then also to see like, oh, these guys, as opposed to me being able to say, no, this is, we can put a good press spin on this because you're self-identifying. They were like all about the money. Oh, wow. You know, because that could also negatively impact them. And here's some dude, some American, some black guy coming into their country, you know, doing all this stuff. And... So I'm like, I was just aware of it. And I was like, I'm out. I'm going to go do some yoga. <laughs> Peace out the next day. And I haven't been back to Cambodia since. Yeah. But I'd like to go back. No, I think it's, it's cool. Super cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, I've heard from like multiple people that, I don't know if you feel this, but yeah. you have this ability to like um, presence, to have a presence to make people feel kind of like you described before, like disappear <laughs> and to feel like you're kind of in another realm together and in kind of this maybe supreme love is what I would say. <laughs> That's beautiful. I haven't heard it described like that, but I, I would say, yeah. Do you sense that about yourself? Mm -hmm. It's not really me, it's them. Mm. I, I disappear. And then they let themselves disappear. Whatever I'm able to do is because someone's opening themselves and allowing. So I don't necessarily say like, I try not to force anything on someone. But if you want to, if you want to be here and you're open to going into that zone, I'm just willing to navigate with you. This is this is also dueling. You know, it's not about me saying you need to do this or do this. But it's what do you want to do? Are you willing? Are you willing to jump dive into that with me? Because I try to keep my intentions pure. Can't say it's always like that because I mean, hey, I'm human, right? <laughs> but like at the core, because I'm about some ideals, and I realize like ideals do drive me, and that is the fairy tale nature of the heart of man, which makes his heart so sensitive. Mm. That I'm, I'll speak to that now. You know, 
the fairy tale nature of the heart of man is what makes his heart so sensitive. Is this is what makes men beautiful to me? You know, men and women. But I see that fellows are really like, it's they believe in a fairy tale. Then their heart gets hurt, and then they, and then everything is tough, tough, tough. And they look to the next fairy tale: football, movies, basketball, sport. You know. And so it's like just witnessing that and being like, oh, yeah, I dig it. Yeah, I dig it. Let me love you in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel I'd like to be like known for anything while you're here or after. What would you want to be known for? Such a thing as leaving a legacy of love. So that that's my mom told me, and I've seen this in a, I did a past life regression, and it was to go supposed to go to the womb, but I went further back, <laughs> right? Like I'm like, well, boring. So I actually took myself further back, and I was hovering above her, mm-hmm. and it's funny because before she died, I had this moment where I held her in my arms and I rocked with her, and I realized she had never been held like that, like that's something that she wanted, so I wanted to give that to her. I used to do this with my ex wife, and. So I'm like, let me try something with you, mom. And I picked her up and I rocked her until she just collapsed. And, and then the day that I was getting ready to leave to go back to my wife in Boa, she says to me, Sana, I want to tell you something. Before you were born, I wanted love in my life, like a, like a pure love. And that's what you are. She never talked to me like this before. You know, she was always sweet to me, joked with me, made fun of me for being over romantic or whatnot, <laughs> or metrosexual. She was like, you metrosexual, you know, and tease me. <laughs> But she, she never got serious, you know, and I was like, man, I receive it. Then when I did the past life regression, I felt what it was to be something someone was calling for vibrationally and knowing that I was going to enter her life and share whatever it was that I am that is connected to her through her. Mm. And I just felt so much for her as I was hovering above her bun. She had a bun. She was in a rocking chair. <laughs> Super cute. And, and so like... I created um, a love legacy. That's it. Like to say, to speak it short, but like, what is the love that I am, and allowing people to, or creating space for people to drop more into the love that they are, which we could call intimacy as well. Mm. That would be it. Mm. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, dear. My honor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Eyes Wide is supported by members all over the world. Find out more at eyeswide.life forward slash join.